Hi, I'm Antonio Gonzalez, and I'm thrilled to present our guest. Today, we have Dr. Miriam Audrey, an assistant professor in the Department of Maternal Fetal Medicine at Yale University. Besides, she is the residency program director for the Obstetric and Gynecology Residency Program. Dr. Miriam, who is part of the Connecticut Maternal Mortality Review Committee and helped to create the report, Pregnancy-Associated Deaths in Connecticut from 2015-2019, is here to talk with us about maternal mortality. Thank you, Dr. Miriam Audrey, for being here, and welcome. Thank you for having me. So let us start with the report from the CDC Pregnancy-Related Death, data from maternal mortality review committees in 36 United States, 2017-2019. What are the leading causes of maternal mortality in the U.S.? So based on the data from these 36 states, the leading causes of maternal death are number one, maternal mental health conditions, which does include um, deaths from suicide and overdose or poisoning related to substance use disorder. Number two is hemorrhage. And number three was cardiac and coronary conditions, which importantly excludes cardiomyopathy and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Yeah, and another thing uh, that is uh, important to highlight here is that there was a, a big racial disparities uh, in between the causes, right? The cardiovascular and coronary conditions were the leading underlying causes for uh, patients that self-report non as non-Hispanic Black and the mental health uh, was actually higher in Hispanics and non-Hispanic white persons. Um, so it's important to, to take that in consideration and, and hemorrhage actually for uh, Asian persons. Yes, that is correct. When it's broken down by self-reported race, um, there, is a big, um, there is a difference in what comes out as number one. So we know that definitely uh, racial disparity is a, is a big issue in terms of maternal mortality. Given the complexity of uh, racial disparities, we're going to limit ourselves to the generality of maternal mortality in the U.S., and we will have a different episode completely uh, dedicated to racial disparities. Um, to summarize, uh, mental health basically has taken over the as uh, the number one cause of maternal mortality in the United States. It used to be cardiovascular disease, but now it is uh, mental health, unfortunately. What is the current maternal mortality rate in the United States and how has it changed over time? So the most recent data we have on the maternal mortality rate is from 2021. Um, the data from 2022 is still getting cleaned um, per se. And the maternal mortality rate for 2021 was 32.9 uh, deaths per 100,000 live births, um, which we have seen a steady increase in from a rate of 23.8 in 2020 and 20.1 in 2019. So unfortunately, these numbers are, are going up. Uh, what, what are the primary risk factors that are driving these uh, maternal mortality in the United States? So that's a great question. Um, in terms of risk factors, it's, it's something that is difficult to get behind. We know that COVID definitely played a role in some of these recent numbers and some access to care issues probably as well during COVID. Um, we are seeing, um, you know, the mental health crisis. We are seeing the disparities in ma um, maternity care across the U.S. Um, there's also lifestyle-related things and age-related um, factors that are likely playing a role as well. On the Maternal Mortality Review Committee, when we review these deaths, we look at all sorts of factors. So we look at patient-level factors, hospital-level, system-level, community-level, um, and um, 
you know, trying to look at all of those different inputs in terms of what could have contributed to this individual's death. Yeah, definitely a lot of um, comorbidity, um, you know, and, and the presence of substance abuse before uh, seems to be a, a big issue in the United States. Um, how does access to health care, including prenatal care, impact maternal mortality rates? Yeah, so it's definitely something we know that um, inadequate prenatal care or um, difficulty obtaining access to care is definitely something um, that we know is a problem and we often cite as a problem, at least in Connecticut. Um, luckily in Connecticut, we've now have expanded um, Medicaid coverage for a year postpartum, and that includes um, even those in um, on the Husky B plan or the immigrant population um, as of April 1st of 2023. Um, so in Connecticut, we are now lucky in that um, our patients can get care not only for the pregnancy period, but for a year postpartum. Um, there are many other states that are working towards this and um, other states that have joined us in this as well. Um, this is just incredibly important because most of the maternal deaths that we're seeing occur in what we call the late postpartum period. So time that is beyond 42 days postpartum, but before that one year mark. Um, and that is where the majority of maternal deaths are occurring. Yeah, I think that was a great initiative. And then I saw that was a recommendation from from your uh, committee review. And, and I think it hopefully will start seeing the results of better care postpartum. And hopefully we're going to see a decrease in maternal mortality thanks to uh, that recommendation. So we we again, uh, we want to thank you for your your work in the uh, Connecticut Maternal Mortality Review Committee. Now, how does the data from the Connecticut Maternal Mortality Review Committee compares to that of the 36 states? We did show similar results. So even though we are a small state with um, thankfully a small N to work with, um, we did show um, that the about 40% of our cases um, of maternal mortality were related to, did have an association with mental health conditions. Um, and substance use disorder also play a, a large role among these. When looking strictly at medical causes, so not substance use or not mental health related, we did see cardiovascular conditions um, play a large role. I'm coming in, at, uh, I think, at number three as well. Given the burden of mental health, I would like to spend some time here talking about substance use disorder and postpartum depression. So. According to some studies, uh, Dr. Bateman and his research team has published uh, in AJOG 2016, it is estimated that about one in 300 patients will become persistent opioid users following cesarean delivery. And for some patients, uh, this will be their first exposure. Uh, having a cesarean delivery will be their first exposure. So how can we as an institution or at the state level decrease opioid consumption? Yeah. So. Um... You know, as of right now, um, statewide, we have the Connecticut um, Perinatal Quality Collaborative, um, which works on rolling out um, kind of maternal safety bundles as part of the AIMS state um, up, up to all birthing hospitals across the state. Focuses among that group currently have been on hypertensive disorders of pregnancy and, and hemorrhage, appropriately so. Um, but we are starting to talk about how to handle the opioid problem um, in this group as well. Um, I can speak to the fact that here at Yale, we have um, 
seriously um, cut down on the routine number of opioids given to our postpartum patients. Um, and often this is done in conjunction with uh, kind of a shared decision-making model with the patient about how many op opioids they would prefer to have going home. Um, typically now with most patients only getting about eight to 12 pills um, after they are discharged from the hospital. Um, you know, we talk a lot about in the postpartum recovery period about how the goal isn't to have a pain score of zero, but to have a pain score that can be managed. And we also talk a lot about other multimodal um, therapies with, you know, NSAIDs with acetaminophen, um, lidocaine patches, tap blocks, um, all of that stuff that can help um, decrease the amount of opioids that individuals taking postpartum. I think we can agree that opioid sparing multimodal analgesia is working very well for our patient population. A recent study titled Prospect Guideline for Elective Cesarean Delivery performed a systematic review utilizing a procedure-specific postoperative pain management methodology, and the results highlight the use of opioid sparing multimodal analgesia amongst other recommendations that could help decrease postoperative opioid consumption if implemented at a statewide level. It is also very important, as you mentioned, the patient education, right? So now that we've covered a little bit about substance abuse, I would like to talk a, a little bit about postpartum depression, because this, again, is another very important uh, topic that is driving maternal mortality. So. What are the ACOG or our institutional recommendations for early recognition and addressing uh, postpartum depression? Yeah, so I think, you know, early recognition really actually starts during the antepartum period. So um, the the screening tool that we use is the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Screening, um, which has actually been validated for use in the antepartum period as well. And so uh, in our clinics now, we will um, have patients take that screen, not only in the first trimester, but again in the third trimester um, to see if they are um, scoring high and in need of services prior to delivery. Um, then um, at delivery, um, many of our patients receive social work consults. Um, and um, now many of our providers do feel comfortable starting um, first line um, SSRIs for postpartum depression, even in the immediate postpartum period. Patients with a known history of mental health disorders um, will get an early postpartum follow-up within the first week or two of delivery, um, where we kind of do a postpartum mood check and use that um, depression scoring system again. Um, and finally, at their six to eight week visit, we will do that scoring system one more time um, at the clinics associated with the health system, there are social workers that are available there that can help connect patients to care. Um, there's also the maternal wellness program, which is located um, in Orange, Connecticut, which is available to a lot of our um, uh, associated um, providers um, and their patients. Um, Connecticut now also has a uh, provider hotline that can be called at any time. If a, a physician at anywhere in the state has a patient um, suffering um, from postpartum depression or a maternal mental health condition, and they would like guidance on how to proceed with their care. Um, for anybody that's from Massachusetts or has heard of the McPap for Moms program, it's an extremely similar program to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think definitely uh, early recognition, it's a very important. And you mentioned that they will be referred. Do we have a psychologist that it's it's kind of as like a subspecialty in, or kind of guided to OB? Just, just like we have cardio obstetrics, is there a psycho obstetric or psychology obstetric team? 
Yeah, so we do are lucky enough now, at least in the maternal fetal medicine office, to have um, Dr. McMahon, um, who is a psychiatrist who does see patients um, in our MFM office um, in conjunction with their prenatal visits um, at least once a month right now. We also also work very closely with, with um, our inpatient team, um, especially for women coming in with need for um, detox. A lot of our women with substance use disorders also have co-occurring uh, mental health conditions. Um, and so um, the psychiatry and addiction teams are often uh, very closely involved on the inpatient side as well. I, I think this is amazing. I think that these, um, you know, subspecialty level uh, and close, you know, close communication between obstetricians and psychologists hopefully will start making a difference for our institution and hopefully for the whole state. Um, what about predicting uh, patients that will be at risk for postpartum depression? Is there any obstetric literature regarding the prediction of postpartum depression? There is um, some literature on this. So um, individuals who have had a history of postpartum depression, who have had a history of um, any mental illness prior, um, individuals who have had a medically complicated pregnancy, um, individuals with limited social support, and individuals who score highly on um, adverse childhood events um, screening tools will also be um, particularly at risk. Um, I think our kind of policy within our Yale clinics is to kind of to assume that anybody could be at risk um, and that, um, you know, it should we, you know, do universal screening. We don't rely on a patient's history to screen, um, which I think is probably the most appropriate way. But um, knowing that these individuals in particular are at are at increased risk um, if they have those co-occurring conditions um, is helpful. Uh, knowing a little bit about the risk for postpartum depression is great because then you can follow these patients uh, closely. In terms of anesthesiology, there's some great research that look at predicting factors. Dr. Eisenach and his research team has described that the severity of acute pain after childbirth, independent of the mode of delivery, could be identified could identify patients at risk for developing chronic pain and postpartum depression. Besides, Dr. Orbach Singer and her research team also demonstrated that a patient with a desired unmedicated birth that ultimately delivers with an unintended labor epidural is at risk for developing postpartum depression. Another study that comes to mind is a study by Dr. Guglielmo Minotti and his research team. They describe an association between general anesthesia and postpartum depression. This association, I can only speculate, it's probably more related to the leading events than the actual uh, use of general anesthesia. Um, so another question, what steps are being taken at the national and state level to address and reduce maternal mortality? Yeah, so I think nationally, when we think about steps being taken, it's really the coalition of all the data that we have right now, which is done through the CDC um, and um, the system that we use to kind of uh, report everything is called Maria. Um, and so that's how the CDC created this, you know, report from 36 states. Um, and, and we'll keep building upon this moving forward. There is a maternal mortality review committee now in every state um, and work, you know, some cities have their own, I can, you know, New York City is large enough that it has their own within the city and um, tribal areas are also, um, we are working on getting maternal mortality review committees in those areas as well. Um, you know, unfortunately, just based on the way the U.S. does healthcare, um, a lot of these um, policies that will impact maternal mortality are going to be driven at the state level, um, just due to kind of the lack of a universal healthcare system. Um, and so, 
you know, in Connecticut and, you know, what every maternal mortality review committee is charged with is creating recommendations that can be taken to policymakers, to stakeholders in the state um, in terms of recommendations that we have that we think could decrease maternal mortality um, in future years. Um, and so I can say, you know, we had our 2019 report, which has a bunch of recommendations. We just had another recommendations meeting again in April. So we'll be putting forth another series of recommendations um, including cases from 2020 and 2021. Um, and um, so it's really the the nitty gritty about the recommendations is really a lot of state level um, things. The national level has again focused more on expanding Medicaid um, and things like the Maternal Momnibus um, Act, um, which is talking more about looking at disparities in maternal care and um, about uh, mental health um, and substance use as well. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, very important. You you mentioned something that I I really like, and it's the fact that you know every state will have to deal with their what drives their maternal mortality it may not necessarily be uh, the same across the states, but then you can look at what is really driving maternal mortality in the state of Connecticut versus the state of New York, and then try to address directly those issues and then once they are once look also at the places where they're doing great and why they're doing great in those areas so that they can be deployed to states that are doing not so good in in those areas like for example if we're doing very well in terms of hemorrhage in connecticut then what are we doing and how can we translate that to areas in this in the in the country that are not doing so well in terms of hemorrhage so i think that's phenomenal that the, they decided to actually study this state by state and, and not just give us the bulk of the analysis, you know, across this the country because our, you know, there may be differences across country. Um, so how can public awareness and education be increased to promote maternal health and reduce maternal mortality rates? Yeah. So um, one of the things that um, has um, been broadcast nationally and, and we've latched onto in Connecticut is the Hear Her campaign, which um, encourages not only physicians and healthcare providers, but um, people who are proximal to um, recently delivered individuals or pregnant individuals um, in terms of listening to an individual's symptoms or what they're telling you um, and really taking what they're telling you seriously. Um, even if it, you know, sounds like it could be just a common pregnancy or postpartum symptom, you know, spending the time and making sure it's not something that needs to be worked up further. So those campaigns um, have been broadcast on radio stations and on TV, um, both in Connecticut and nationally. Um, our report from um, 2015 to 2019 is available on the Department of Health website. Our maternal mortality review is housed in the Department of Public Health. Um, and we recently have a we have a revamped website where people can go on and obtain information about maternal mortality specifically in Connecticut and look at our report. Um, our um, more recent reports and recommendations will also be forthcoming from that. Um, and it has a lot of recommendations or uh, has all of our recommendations on there as well. So if you're working with a group or if you are a person that thinks that you could um, help um, move one of these recommendations forward in some way. I encourage you to reach out to our committee leadership, which is myself um, and, and um, Eliane Sylvester. Um, we are co-chairs of the committee. Um, and, you know, we we are definitely looking for partners and definitely looking for, for champions to help move these recommendations forward in Connecticut. Yeah, I think uh, hearing the recommendations and uh, the Hear Her campaign, I can I can say I've been into the the website 
and it's so visual and it's they it, they do a great job summarizing the the things that you have to look at and and again as you mentioned it's actually directed not only to the patients but also to providers and friends and family so that they can actually look out for their their loved ones so i i think the hear her campaign is absolutely uh genius um, what are some of the initiatives that ACOG, uh, the American College of Obstetric and Gynecology, has taken to decrease maternal mortality? So um, ACOG um, has partnered with AIM, um, the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health, and are really um, big on um, states rolling out these healthcare these bundles. Um, um, specifically, you know, ones I can think of off the top of my head involve hemorrhage, um, involve mental health conditions, um, hypertension, um, and so ACOG's been um, a big champion of trying to roll these out across states as well. Um, and ACOG is also just looking for ways to support their individual members who are working on their maternal mortality um, review committees. Um, you know, I can say that one of our big stakeholders in Connecticut is our state ACOG um, section, and they, you know, working with them um, to help move our recommendations forward as well. Um, and so ACOG is kind of making, partnering with all these different organizations, um, trying to support its members by providing the education and providing toolkits and, and things that the members would need to help decrease maternal mortality. Yeah, I think that the bundles are, are amazing. Um, I think that it's actually very important. I would recommend all residents to uh, go to the um, AIM website and actually download all the bundles that are available where it's really a national partnership between midwifery, anesthesiology, uh, the Green Journal. So it, it was a, a great collaborative uh, re, uh, you know, effort to, to try to decrease maternal mortality. Um, we definitely do have some evidence that these bundles are are working, right? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, even within our own hospital system, um, you know, the, the hemorrhage bundle that we've rolled out, the hypertension bundle, um, you know, we've made inroads on treating severe hypertension in pregnant and postpartum individuals in the emergency department. Um, we've made inroads with our um, hemorrhage um, recognition and treatment. Um, and so, and a lot of these bundles are showing promise across other states as well. Um, other states have, um, you know, been really big on, especially in their Medicaid population, getting blood pressure cuffs to all of their um, pregnant and postpartum Medicaid patients. That's another thing in Connecticut that we've um, been successful with, especially during the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, there, there's multiple like individual kind of case studies, I would say, of, of these things being rolled out that are successful. Yeah, I was reading about this uh, very interesting program about giving blood pressure cuffs to patients and actually giving them access to telehealth as well. Um, definitely seems like a great way of starting to reduce maternal mortality. So, I mean, I, I think the ACOG is doing a, a great job at a, trying to reduce uh, maternal mortality, but it's a, it's a tough job uh, because maternal mortality keeps keeps going up, unfortunately. And it keeps changing, right? Before we're, we, it was cardiovascular disease, maybe we got a little better at that, but then mental health is, is trumping um, cardiovascular disease. Or maybe we just got better at collecting uh, the, the mental health data, as you mentioned in your report. Um, so how can data collection and reporting be improved to better track and understand maternal mortality trends? Yeah, so I think um, luckily the Maria reporting system that um, all the states are using now to kind of track and report maternal mortality um, and these in-depth reviews that the maternal mortality committees are doing um, is really helping the quality of our data collection, um, especially when it's looking at 
uh, um, other comorbidities that could be occurring around the time of the death, such as mental health, substance use, intimate partner violence, racism. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of look at all of that. And the Maria Forum, the, the types of questions that we get asked are constantly, it, it, it undergoes different iterations, but um, a lot of the, the information that we collect has been pretty stable, um, especially over the past two, three years. And so having, you know, each state review committee use the same data collection form um, has really helped the kind of quality of data that we're able to obtain and that the CDC is able to report out in terms of our national trends. Um, you know, I think areas that, you know, just anecdotally where I see people still get stuck, um, even in Connecticut, we still have a lot of what I call false positives on the death certificate form. So people will check that an individual has been pregnant or postpartum within the year, and that's not the case. And I'm sure that we're you know, missing some as well, even though we cross check our all the death records with the birth records, um, you know, to try to make sure that we're getting getting everybody um, that, that may have um, been a maternal mortality. Um, the the speed at which some of this cross checking occurs is also a little delayed. Um, so some of, you know, in Connecticut, we're actually it's, uh, one of the only states in the country um, who are reviewing our 2022 um, death cases. A lot of states are still um, very much behind because of the delays in not only kind of matching the cases, but also just the, the sheer numbers that some of these states have to deal with in terms of um, maternal mortality. Um, so I think if, if ways to speed up that process but not lose the integrity of the review um, would be helpful. Yeah, that that sounds like a very good uh, way. You know, definitely we need to get this data in so that we can analyze it and start making changes as quick as possible. Um, another question here, and uh, what is the role of healthcare providers and healthcare systems in preventing maternal deaths? I will say that in our reviews, if you look at the, the CDC report and if you look at the Connecticut report, um, the vast majority of our recommendations um, are centered around either system or community or provider um, with very few, if any, recommendations centered around patient level factors. Um, and so I would say that the bulk of the work here does rely on not only healthcare providers, um, you know, and us increasing our knowledge and, and you know, um, being adherent to bundles and 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 not resisting these changes as they come through but you know it relies on healthcare systems to have these have the bundles in place to have the tools in place to help the providers it relies on the the systems outside the hospital help to help support patients does the patient have transportation does the patient have a caseworker does the patient need a social worker you know it and so it's it's definitely multifactorial and and a lot relying outside of the the individual patient level when it comes to prevention of maternal mortality yeah i mean i think that this is definitely one of those areas where it applies that say it takes a village and and it takes you know everybody pulling together to really try to you know get the best out, out of the uh improving the outcome of maternal mortality I have one last uh, thought um, and question with it, and then we'll we'll finish with our top five recommendations from Dr. Miriam Audrey for decreasing maternal mortality. So in terms of my thought, um, the Department of Health and Human Services has these uh, very, uh, you know, this goal uh, by to decrease maternal mortality by 50% by 2025, you know, there is a compelling editorial by Dr. Landau titled Laws of Access to Legal Abortion in America. 
that describes that given that the mortality rate of pregnancy is 50 to 130% higher than dying from abortion, some experts estimate that maternal mortality will increase by 13% and 30, 33% by, for white and black women, respectively. So first of all, do you agree with this assessment? And second, considering this fact, is this goal achievable? Yeah, so that the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a huge blow um, to any kind of um, mater- you know, the role, uh, road to decreasing maternal mortality in the U.S. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to the specific numbers, but I, I will not be surprised if we see a continued increase um, as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, we already know that out of Texas, there's been a report on increased maternal morbidity alone related to um, when they um, introduced um, their um, early abortion ban um, prior to the overturning of Roe. And so as more states move towards limiting um, abortion or restricting it altogether, um, we are gonna see this. And it's not just because um, abortion is, um, you know, technically safer than carrying a pregnancy to term, but, um, you know, in Idaho, they are, limited in the number of birthing hospitals they have now they're losing obstetric providers very quickly um, which is going to leave women without care um, and without access to care we're going to see an increase in these obstetric uh, and maternity care deserts um, which is just going to decrease the the ability of women to to get access to quality care Um, i mean and, and plus the fact you know like i stated that you know, it is riskier for a woman to carry a pregnancy to term than it is to have a termination. Um, so we we will see what happens moving forward, but I, I don't suspect that it will be a positive um, impact on our maternal mortality in the U.S., unfortunately. Yeah, I fear that we will see an increase in the rise of maternal mortality for those states that have lost access to legal abortion in America. So let's let's finish now uh, with Dr. Miriam's top five recommendations for decreasing materna, maternity mortality. I think if we're going to focus um, specifically on Connecticut, especially where you know um, we are currently and where we're working, um, you know we definitely need to um, ensure that all, all the birthing hospitals are able to roll out these AIM bundles with the support of the. Department of Public Health and with um, the Connecticut Hospital Association and the Connecticut Perinatal Quality Collaborative, um, you know, we want, you know, the chances of any adverse maternal outcome to not vary um, depending on where a woman in Connecticut gives birth. Um, And so these bundles are a good step in moving towards that. Um, I think we need to make providers, all providers, more aware of these kind of wraparound services that are available in Connecticut. you know, even after sitting on the Maternal Mortality Review Committee since 2018, I still learn of new services that are available in Connecticut um, to patients um, that could have helped them um, and that could help them. Um, and, and unfortunately, there's just not a central, a, a good central um, location for providers to go and look and see what might be available to patients. Right now, it's all on 211 which, I mean, no one has the time to make a phone call to 211 during the middle of a clinic day. It just doesn't happen. So, um, you know, if there was a website or something that those were on, that is something that we constantly talk about. Um, We also, you know, all the hospitals, the birthing hospitals in Connecticut, not all the birthing hospitals have access to 24-hour social work or psychiatry or substance use counselors like we do at Yale. 
Um, and given that those are some of our main drivers, having those systems in place um, at all hours because women deliver on nights and on weekends um, would be extremely helpful. Um, what am I, I think I'm at three. <laughs> um, those are definitely a big three. Um, I think the, um, the other things are to have hospitals that maybe don't have access to, again, 24-7 maternal fetal medicine, 24-7 psychiatry, cardiac, uh, cardiac services, you know, OB anesthesia. Um, if there's ways for those hospitals to communicate with hospitals that do have those things when they have a critical patient coming in that maybe there isn't stable for transfer, I think that's huge. Um, and, you know, and I think in Connecticut, we need our legislators luckily um, are, are very supportive of this, but you know we need to keep making policy changes that do uh, positively impact the women of Connecticut, like expanding Medicaid, like um, protecting um, the access to abortion in Connecticut. Um, we need to see continued policies around around that and around supporting um, continued care for women, not only during pregnancy, but in that kind of remote postpartum period and making sure they're getting the long-term um, care that they need as well. Thank you so much. I think that was that was great. Uh, we want to thank you so much for all your time today. And we appreciate the time and work from the Connecticut Maternal Mortality Review Committee, as we hope the knowledge gained from your work will help us decrease maternal mortality. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.